On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we do a deep dive into the World Series and all the terrible decisions that A.J. Hinch made. Or were they terrible? Only listening will let you know. And then we talk a little bit about college football, as always. Uh, we talk about who were the last uh, values to make the college football playoffs. And Rufus and I actually have a moment where we like each other and we agree on something, which is really special. And then finally, we talk about the concept of closing line value. Is it gone? Does it matter at all in the NFL anymore? And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the Let's Go Nats post World Series episode of the Bet the Process podcast starring Jeff Ma and Rufus P. Firefly, as Tony calls you every morning um, when I talk to him bright and early. Uh, Tony, surprisingly, I asked him, did Tony uh, watch the end of the game? And they told me that he has it on DVR and that I couldn't tell him what happened because it would be a spoiler. Really? And this is that's, this morning? That's, that's a joke. Okay. okay. He, of course he knew what happened, Rufus. Okay. Sometimes your sense of humor is absent. Well, sometimes people don't know Tony Kornheiser as well as you do. <laughs> I don't know him that well. I mean, I know him from being on a show and then from him insulting me once, but that's not a big deal. Um, okay. So let's talk about the World Series because there's a lot to unpack with that. First off, I think it's interesting to think about um, the decisions that AJ Hinch made because I, I, I was sitting on a plane yesterday. So I was this sort of captive audience. I was getting to watch the game and tweet about it. And I was really surprised at the way Hinch handled the pitching situation. Now, we can evaluate each decision sort of independently. The first decision that was, was going that can have some scrutiny is, is taking Granky out when he did. Now that's what that's what you're I think you're referring to with Lichtman, right? Where Lichtman is saying like those decisions can always be second guessed based on results, blah blah blah. You right, got he said, so. right? I mean, any decision to take a pitcher out or to leave a pitcher in will be second guessed. If he hadn't taken Granky out and Granky had given up another home run, people would have said, "Look, you could have, you know, it's third time through the order. He gave up a home run walk to guy. You could tell that, you know, it was you have okay, you have Garrett Cole there. You have so you let, know, let's let's talk about let's talk, let's talk about first principles thinking, right? What do we know for sure? I think we know pretty much for sure that what's inarguable is that every time through the order, a pitcher loses effectiveness, correct? Like that's well proven for almost every pitcher that that is the case. Now, how much effectiveness they lose varies and blah, 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 and pitch count and all that kind of stuff. But every time a hitter sees you, then you lose effectiveness. So... If you're A.J. Hinch, and then you're, you've seen that he's gone through the order, especially that tough part of the order, twice already, why leave him in for the third time through when um, there's, you know, you, you're in the seventh inning already, so you only have to get nine more outs at that point, and you have Garrett Cole and you have Osuna, and you know that if those guys come in, you can actually do a situation where they only see the order once each. And so... That's one way of thinking about this from just a process standpoint. Now, the right. problem was, and that way, that the, first off, that's the way the Astros generally would think about it, right? They would, you know, that that's kind of. I would hope so, right? I mean, that's the whole that's the whole idea of bullpenning and the whole idea of like the non-conventional way of handling a game seven. Now, what's so funny is everyone's like, oh, when game six, when the Nationals won game six. Everyone said, oh, game seven's going to be crazy. You're, gonna, you're absolutely going to see Garrett Cole. You're going to see this. You're going to see that. And it was a pretty traditional game. I mean, with the exception of Corbin pitching, you know, three innings or whatever he did, it was a pretty traditional game in that you saw a starter for a while and then the, the Astros basically just handled it. They, how, it. It seemed like they handled it like they would a regular season game. Right, and which is odd because game sevens, I think they said on the telecast that there hadn't been a game seven where both starting pitchers went at least five innings um, since like 2001. So, And there's a reason for that, right? It's this whole idea that 
you know that every time through an order, a pitcher loses effectiveness. So, well, and you also only care about this game. Like it doesn't matter saving anybody. It doesn't matter. It's just about this game and and you're going to pull a pitcher at the first sign of trouble. Right. And, and, but that's an interesting thing though, right? In the Granke situation, because he was dealing, right? He was pitching great. And I think his pitch count was relatively low. It was really low. It was like 60 after six innings. So, so there were to be a lot of pressure for him to keep Granky in in that seventh inning, right? And 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 I don't think anyone had a problem with them taking him out after Rendon hit that home run, blah blah blah. But why do well, you in the walk? Well, the the walk was on. I mean, no, Granke no, they, hit, the walk was the walk was Willie Harris walked the guy. Wait, no, no, no. It was a home run and then walk and then he gets pulled. I'm unless I'm like. I was watching the game. I we were all we were both watching the game, but I thought he got pulled after the Rendon home run. So no, like, it was after because because um, it was against Soto, right? Yeah, he walked Soto on a pitch. There was a pitch that was a like you're right, you're a, right. a missed call on you're a strike right. that was called a ball. I think with a two and one count to make it three and one, and that was um, I saw someone no, tweet no, you're that right. you're, you're, that, you're right. that missed call cost the Astros the World Series. That one missed strike call, but. Um, you know, Granky had gotten a bunch of calls off, yeah, no, I mean, on balls honestly, off the plate like, earlier, but he, he did. They they did miss that call. Um, which did you know that umpire is Randy, is Randy Wolf's brother, by the way. Yeah, it's crazy. Explains um, a lot. No, I think he was good. I think he just had a wide strike zone for most of the game, and he was pretty consistent with it. So, and, and you know what? If, if we compare the umpiring now to like twenty years ago, when you didn't have um, these sort of means to evaluate the umpires, obviously you didn't have the um, the pitch FX and all that stuff. And I, I don't know. Do you remember Levon Hernandez in that 20 strikeout game when he was yeah. getting balls in the other batter's box called for strikes? I mean, people, we complain about the umpiring, we complain about the officiating in all these sports, but the officiating is objectively so much better than it's ever been across the board. The Levon, I don't actually agree with you on in baseball, maybe balls and strikes have gotten better, but I think that the actual like NFL officiating has gotten worse because they don't know how to call things based on what replay is going to happen. So they err in certain directions and it biases them in certain directions. Um, I, I, I don't agree with you at all in NFL refing. I think NFL refing has gotten worse. No, I, I do agree that it does bias them in a way. And I think the NFL rule book has gotten way too overcomplicated, but I still think if you compare it to the nineties, I still think it's probably better. Okay. This I'm is guessing. I don't, I, I don't know. I can't quantify that. Let's just finish. Let's, let's go finish back to baseball. World, let's finish so, up this World Series thing. So, so you're okay. So, so they, you're okay with them pulling Granky when they did. Well, I, you think- honestly, honestly, this is a really easy thing to second guess, but I think that if you, I think what you do is you go in with a plan, right. Of what you want to do. And you know that you want Granky. If the, if Granky can get you to the seventh inning, you're basically set. Seventh inning with the lead, you're basically set, right? But, so but wait, goal. Jeff, that's sort of an inflexible thing, though. That's like saying, I mean, I, I know where you're going with this. You're going to say, he did this, he executed as part of the plan, but you don't know that Granky stuff is going to be this good. You don't, I mean, but, there are but things that's, that... But that's the thing, like, that's the thing, though, Rufus, right? Like, do you, how much correlation is there between his performance so far in that game and his performance in the seventh inning, Right my guess is that correlation is not there, right? This idea that, oh, this guy's dealing and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I can see it and he's pitching so well. My point is that that is point. where bias gets introduced because you are seeing something that sways you from making a logical decision. The logical decision is you have nine more outs. You have Osuna and Garrett Cole in your bullpen and you can get nine outs with those guys. Yes, Granky has put you in a great situation and Granky's still dealing, but why risk that at that point? Like when you know that if you were like, if someone said to you, okay, you have a two run lead seventh inning, you have Garrett Cole and Asuna there. What do you do? You don't say, well, I just hope to God I can get a couple more outs for my starter. You say, no, I, I've got this now. I'm going to be able to get nine outs with those guys. So, I mean, I, I just think that the AJ Hinch got biased by how well Granky was pitching and I don't think that's the right thing unless you really strongly believe there's a correlation between how he's looked in the first six innings and how we will pitch in that seventh inning. And that bias is enough to, uh, sorry, that correlation is enough to overcome the fact that he's already seen the lineup twice. And this is the third time he's going to see the lineup. And we know 
he's going to get worse. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say that I do think, I mean, I haven't looked at this, but, but sort of how much facing the lineup multiple times hurts you may depend on how many pitches you have working that day and what you're, you know, if you're, I think traditionally, the traditional now, wisdom is that someone that's like relies on a few pitches, one or two pitches is, uh, you know, most of those guys right. are starters, so but it's going to, you can work, you can introduce new things and blah. I, I get that. But Garrett Cole or not Garrett Cole, Granky was, um, he was pitching well, not really necessarily based on a great fastball. Um, but I mean, he was locating that very well, but based on, um, his off speed stuff and keep in, and it seems like the Natter, it seemed like the Nats hitters timing was just not there. Right. Okay, you are talking then, so much in terms of subjectivity and in terms of like, okay. I, I think, Look, I saw, I, and, and all, I'm trying to bring this to absolutes, right? To, to process, to I, say like, and, and some of what you're talking about is even like thin slicing at some level. Like, it's like, let's like think this through in the way that, anal- you said it, you tweeted it out yesterday. What do the analytics people think about this? And I'm telling you when, you, when you really try to employ analytics in my mind in a decision of this type, you try to go to first principles as much as you can. What are things that are inarguable? What is inarguable is that a pitcher loses effectiveness every time he sees the order, right? That is inarguable. Right, and I think I think AJ Hinch went into the seventh inning with the plan. Would you agree? I think his plan was really short leash. Leash. If Granky does not keep dominating, he's getting pulled basically. And and but see, after that's two like, hitters. That's like such so, an interesting but it was thing, right? when he got pulled though. It was two to one. The Astros were still winning. Runner on first, nobody out, right? Or is there one out? There was one out. There was because he got the first out in the seventh. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, but he was on. He went. I mean, like this is like, this is like the thing that like you're basically speaking to traditional MLB narratives or traditional MLB thought process, which is short leash, right? And I think like Corbin was probably on a short leash also. So like that worked out because Corbin was able to get a bunch of outs. He, he got a couple loud outs and whatnot. And so again, going back to this idea of what, what was his plan going into the seventh? So his plan was short leash Willie Harris backed up by Osuna, but that's just like, by that time it was too late. Like what, like the whole idea that you, you can prevent runs, right. And you can prevent people from even getting into trouble. I don't know. Like it just, it just seemed like a flawed thing to me where you know arguably and, and the only question is was cole really available well he right? said like, he wanted cole to have a clean inning and he thought that if the if the astros had the lead cole was a potential like potential got to close out the game so if his thought was cole's cole is available he can be effective but we only want him in a clean inning that kind of backs up your point of why wouldn't you but um it's, put him out there to start the inning, sense, right? right like if cole's available Right, regardless of clean inning or not, you got to get him in there. Like, if you think Cole can be, if if you believe that Cole can be effective, right, you got to get him in there. And like, I understand, like, he's a starter; he hasn't relieved it, but it's still effing pitching, right? You're just pitching. So, can I ask you, Jeff? Wait, you were you were a Nats backer? Were you just watching the game as a fan of the Nationals? Yes, I was happy. I was happy. You you were happy that Granky got left in. Um. At that point, where you was I I happy mean, that Granky left? No, yeah, probably. My thought process I mean, when I, I, I saw Cole warming up was, I was like, he's on short rest. He's never pitched on short rest like this before, out of the bullpen. This is, I thought, yes, he's the best pitcher in baseball, but it introduces an unknown. And and I actually, when Granky was mowing it, you know, I, I thought that it, it uh, you know, it, it did not. I was not filled with dread as someone who bet the Nationals based on Jeff Moss' advice. So I, when Granky came back in, um, well, one, I, I did, wasn't even thinking about it to be honest. Cause I just didn't think that, that AJ Hinch would take him out. I just thought that there, that was a situation where very few managers, like the only managers that I know that might've taken him out, like Bochi might've taken him out, right? Bochi might've taken him out and put Baumgartner in or something like that. Like Bochi did, but like, I don't really know what managers would take him out in that situation because of just this sort of conventional thinking. So I wasn't even thinking about whether he'd get taken out. Now, when wait. Willie Harris came in, I was very happy. So, so wait, can I just say, we're talking about Granky going through the lineup like three times. I don't know how many times Scherzer ended up going through the lineup. Um, but I think, cause he, he allowed a ton of men on base. I do think it was at least partially through the third time of the th- third time through the order. And Scherzer was like, 
what did he have four walks and one or two strikeouts? I mean, I thought I, I was, I mean, I guess the nationals just don't have a ton of options, but I was surprised. I thought it was a bad decision um, at the time to not take Scherzer out earlier. Yeah. I mean, he clearly wasn't the reason the Scherzer situation is potentially different in my mind, at least is because you, you, it was early, right? It was like, it was, the it was, you got it. Scherzer's got to get you through, get you to the fifth inning or else you got very little chance unless no, but, but you have Anibal Sanchez, you have, you have Corbin, you have like, obviously so bullpen guys. Scherzer too. third time through the order better or worse than Anibal Sanchez. It's a good question, but also Scherzer you didn't seem. So like, was, so was Scherzer a hundred percent tonight, like last night? I mean, he was on a lot of rest, and but but know, with his with his neck. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly he wasn't a hundred percent because he did not pitch as well as he's pitched in at times in his life. I don't think he was a hundred percent. Did he throw a I mean, single changeup for a strike? It's I mean, a did fair he th- question. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fair thing to say. Like maybe what uh, Martinez should have done is say, "Hey." We're going to try to give Scherzer two times through the order. And then we're going to go Corbin two times through the order and then try to get, you know, Sanchez and really make this a bullpen game. And, and neither coach, neither manager really did make this a bullpen game. Right. By the way, Scherzer faced 26 batters. So that says that he went through the order three times and yeah. he gave up. When was that? When, when was the Astros second run scored? Was that the fifth? Yeah, I think so. Was it the third time through the order? Yeah, so I think the but and to Lichman's point, we're like we're talking about this because it's game seven and everything is under a microscope, and we're evaluating all this based generally. People, the media at least are about, and, and fans are, are sort of uh, you know valuing evaluating these decisions based on the outcome. But um, I feel like we're not talking about are being left in to face the th- like the order the third time through and giving up a run there when in reality I feel like that's just as egregious a mistake as Granky being left in. Yeah, I mean I think I think the difference in my mind at least are the just just the options at that point and also the um but the, what the, I mean the, the Nats had right I mean the Nats had the, a ton of you options. Have a lot few, you have a lot fewer outs to get at that point. And so there's much more certainty about how you can get those outs. Whereas the, the, you know, the Astros, I think, I mean, sorry, the Nats in the fifth or fourth or fifth inning, you're talking about having to get a lot more outs with a lot less. But everybody's available. You can have everybody going through the, know, the first time. Sure, you have. Yeah. sure. I mean, it's fair. Like I said, like they didn't turn this into a bullpen game. They probably should have. Um, and this, you know, like even in the end, there was just the the crazy decisions that Hinch made, um, with his bullpen where it almost seemed like he was coaching it like a regular season game, especially in the ninth when he came in with Joe Smith, you and I, as guys that had the over, we were pretty excited when he brought Joe Smith in. Like we thought, okay, here's our chance. Yeah. So my, my only thing would be that, that they did not really believe that Cole, was going to be that effective that they that they were you know almost like saving him for for like a you know like a uh, a rainy day like if they had to use him kind of thing like maybe Cole didn't feel great in the bullpen and was was honest about it because he was he is just coming off of basically what two days rest yeah two days rest I guess and I mean you're right fine this is the day that he would normally throw on the side anyways Right, but you're right. We don't know. We don't know what he said to the bullpen coach or the bullpen coach watching him saying, oh, he doesn't have any bite to this, you know. Yeah, okay, let's move on from this. Ball. Let's move on to uh, the definition of a bad beat because you trolled one of our, one of the friends of the podcast. Uh, he's actually a friend of the podcast, but uh, you trolled him about um, him complaining that this was a bad beat, that the over in this game was a bad beat. And from a standpoint of the fact that this was two nothing going into the seventh inning and it went over seven and a half. Yes, absolutely a bad beat. But the, the nature of a bad beat is to me is not this because there was a world certainly where the Astros could have had a lot more runs at that point because they had left like, I think 10 on base through the first six innings or something like that. Yeah, they were they, right. And they were one for eight with runners in scoring position. Like that's, they were they were unlucky to only score two runs there and 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 if, and if you look at you know on batting average well if you look at um Scherzer yeah I guess he had three strikeouts four walks you would say wow okay 
under, you know, based on that, I wouldn't want the under. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, so the, so sort of the process there. Well, you wouldn't, you definitely would think the Astros would score, have scored more runs at that point. And so, you know, I, I think that the, the, the nature of bad beat is when you're, you're basically feel like you, there were just flukes that made you lose a game, like complete flukes, right? And, and they have to be flukes of pretty monumental proportion. And really it comes down to like the end, like to me much more than like, this was like a situation where, well, whatever. It, 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 this is sort of silly. I mean, the b- bottom line is that when you really complain about what a bad beat is, you really need to analyze the entire game and how the game played out versus just looking at one small slice of the game. In other words, like the last three innings, because the first six innings you could say it was almost the bad beat that it was so far under because of how many base runners the Astros had. Look, I mean, I think we're, we're defining bad beat way too broadly. I think bad beat is like, you know, Kirk cousins fumbling and having it returned for a touchdown on the we're last play against the chiefs game. Can like, not, not I mean, that's, that's a bad beat because that is that's a random stay. event, a random event at the end of the game that yeah. causes you to lose like a hail Mary being completed. That's a to me. That's a bad beat. A bad beat is not a team coming in having, you know, you know what a bad beat is to me in college when the teams could actually just kneel on the ball and they're winning and they have the ball. And for whatever reason, they decide to like run still and run it in for a touchdown. That's like that. That's the thing that drives me the most crazy or in the NBA when they could dribble out the clock and for some reason they shoot it and it goes in. Those are the bad beats to me when the actual, what actually happens in the game just shouldn't even be happening because they should have just like quit. And everyone. But, but Jeff, well, what's the purpose of a kneel down? To preserve a victory generally, right? To not fumble. Right. right. If you're up 34 points, you're not really concerned about that. Well, but there's also some level of like, don't rub this in our faces when you could just take a knee. You well, that's don't need more points to win. That's true. They normally just run the ball up the middle, though, in those situations. But, but co- They don't do it ever in, in the NFL, right? It never happens in the NFL. It only happens no. in college. And it happens so much in college that I'm like numb to it now that I'm like, they're going to run, and I just hope this shitty team that's, giving, that's getting 34 points can happen to stop them on this time. Yeah, I forget. There was a college game this week. I, um, I forget which game it was, but um, they, the team, they were up big late, and they brought in their backup quarterback who threw the ball three times, for it, like, and they had to punt, and then the other team scored a touchdown, and then they had to bring back the starter because it was like, well, why weren't you just running the ball? Like, you were up like two or three scores, and suddenly, yeah. Maybe they just wanted to give him give him a chance. Like the Patriots try to give Jarrett Stidham a chance, and then he screws it all up, and they have to bring back in Tom Brady. Yeah. So Jarrett okay. Stidham's given up almost as many points as the Patriots' defense, hasn't he? <laughs> How's that this, for a segue? Uh, Sunday will be interesting. We'll finally get to see a little bit about how good the Patriots are, right? Oh, the Patriots are good. We know that they're they're lucky in terms of turnover margin, but they're good. Okay. Well, we'll see how good their defense is, at least. I'd be curious to see how well they're able to contain that vaunted Baltimore Ravens running t- running attack. Uh, let's move on to college football. Um, anyways, congratulations, Nationals. Congratulations, National Backers. Oh, did we want to talk about this whole Mattress Mac thing? Oh, the fact that he had so much money on the Astros because of his Well, you said promotion. that Gil said on his podcast that this was a black swan event to the in the likes of the um you know the the uh Mayweather um McGregor McGregor fight, right? And and we've talked about the Mayweather McGregor fight before as one of the biggest plus EV opportunities to bet on Mayweather even though the odds were you know, you were you were laying a very heavy price. You should probably have been laying a much much heavier price, and there was so much value on Mayweather because so many people wanted to bet um, McGregor because it was like the sexy fun choice. But the reality was he was never ever going to beat Mayweather. Um, and so in this case, the mattress Mac thing is that because he had put so much money down um, across the United States on the Astros that there was value on the nationals because of that. Um, and you know, like I think the guy, Derek Stevens from, um, the D circa uh, circus, I don't, I don't remember. There's something about him saying that he was offering plus EV bets on the Nats and all this kind of stuff. And so 
what exactly did Gil say? Because I, I didn't hear what he said. I don't know. I just actually it wasn't Gil that tweeted this. Um, Julian um, tweeted, in retrospect, this World Series could be a, as big a quote, sports, book back swan, sports betting black swan as the Mayweather-O'Connor boxing fight. And Gil said, retweeted and said, you do realize this is what I've been saying all along on the show. Or maybe your emoji indicates you know that. So so I, I didn't listen to Gil's show, but, I, um, but apparently Gil has been saying that there's a lot of uh, – value on the nats i guess um but i i, I don't get but i don't know the black see, I don't swan know thing it's like, i don't know like it, there can be value without it being a you know yeah i think something the black like swan thing is a little bit it's a little bit much and i think that the value on the nats was there was a lot of value simply because they were the nats and the astros were the astros the astros were perceived as this almost unbeatable team and um, i don't i don't I, I disagree with that i mean it, they it they went seven games with the Yankees, right? In the ALCS. I'm just telling you that we had value all playoffs against the Astros. Against the Astros. Yes. On the Nats too, or just against the Astros? Against the Astros. We were on the Yankees a lot. We were on Tampa Bay, I think, in every game of that series. Um, yeah, we were we were on, and then I think we were on the Nats in every game of the World Series. So there was a lot of you know, and maybe there's bias in our numbers or something like that, but generally like we were against the Astros and I don't know if, you know, maybe that was mattress Mac, but I don't think so. I mean, I think that was just the perception of the teams um, and the perception of the Astros generally. So I don't think it was a black Swan event because black Swan event, if you compare it to Mayweather um, McGregor, that was, there was so much value there. People believe, and it's really hard to quantify it as we've talked about, like it's, but you know, you talk to any professional better and they were on that, that, and they felt like there was a ton of value. Yeah. Okay. Football. Back to football or to football, um, college game grades, anything interesting last week that popped out at you? Um, you know, I, I actually just ran them this morning for you, for me, for For you. So so you get to, do do you want to have a go at the top five? For me and just me, hold on. I'm pulling up my handy-dandy sports action or action network or whatever you call it app these days, and I'm pulling up the games to see who I think may have had a – hey, how about Rutgers, by the way? Rutgers won. Yeah, they they did. Go Rutgers. I was Um, a fan of that. They they still didn't grade out well. They graded out number 75. Okay, o- Oklahoma. Oh, sorry, Ohio. Ohio State. Ohio State. Yep, they are number four. Um, I think that's the easy one, right? They they beat a, a Wisconsin team pretty handily. Kansas State. No, they're number thirteen. Really? Even though they played Oklahoma. So Kansas State, Oklahoma actually didn't play that poorly. If you look at that, like I, midway through the fourth quarter, Oklahoma was averaging over ten yards per play. I think they had two turnovers and. They just weren't stopping, um, weren't stopping Kansas State. Uh, it was it was more okay. of a de- Mich- defense Mich- thing. But but Oklahoma actually, I actually thought Oklahoma would have a higher game grade than Kansas State, but they don't simply because they're playing against. Because yeah, we I could have told Oklahoma you that, to be that big, would be almost impossible. Um, Michigan, Michigan, but they were yeah nine points worse than Kansas State in the game grades. Um, Michigan, yes, number two, 45-14 winner over Notre Dame. We had Notre Dame as a 0.3% chance of making the college football playoff going into week nine. And, you know, I'm not saying that Notre Dame – I mean, yeah, we thought Notre Dame was not that good. That's really sad. I love Notre Dame. I mean, I like them as a team. Um, Okay, let me see. Now it gets a little bit harder. How about Alabama? Alabama against Arkansas at number nine. Ooh. Um. What's okay, interesting why is it. Just, why don't you just okay. tell me? So Clemson, number one, 59 to seven against Boston College. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, two, Michigan. Three, UCF beating Temple 63 to 21, which is interesting because I'm not high on Temple in general. I've been low on Temple. Well, you so were on, this goes you were against on your narrative. I know I was. This goes against your narrative that I like, you know, I think that teams that um, beat teams that I was high on um, are ones that get good game well, but grades. They, but this is, this is they also, a team they beat also, a team. They also all, crushed them, right? It's always teams that crush teams at the top of the game grades. But um, four, Ohio State against Wisconsin, and five, LSU 
only a yeah, 23-20 against Auburn. That, I was wondering if that would be it, but okay. So interesting. Okay, um, question. What do you make the Georgia-LSU game this week? Because that's um, an exciting game that's coming up. It is. In Jacksonville, right? I make Georgia a 5.7-point favorite. Hmm. So pretty much nothing there. They're six and a half. Six and a half, yeah. I think I might have bet them early in the week at three and a half. Three and a half. So you have a little bit of value there, right? Yeah. That's what they opened, I think. Um, did they really open that low? They did. Oklahoma, what do you have them now? Do you have – I mean, we, you had this whole argument with people. What's their chance now, or what do you have them now as um, to, to, to win it all? What odds did you get? Because we have lots of – you and I have lots of Oklahoma futures that um, we can light on fire now, or should we just keep the tickets? What do you think? So I would say keep the tickets personally. Because um, there's no reason to burn them. No, definitely they're not. At, but they're, at plus, they're at like 22 and a half to one now at Chris. So, you know, yes, I'm, I'm, I still have them as 34% to make the playoff. So I think if they win out, um, I, I created a little chart with contingencies. If they win out, if they win out, including, okay, 14 to one. If they win out, including Ooh. the championship game, including the conference championship, I have them at 58.9% to make the playoff. Now you can, wow. um, you can argue that, I mean, I think part of the debate is like, does Oklahoma get in over a one loss SEC team that doesn't win the conference championship? And okay, so we I don't think, I don't think yes, actually. I think LSU um, does in that scenario, but I think that there's still some carnage that's going to happen in the SEC. You have L, like LSU and Bama both have better chances than Oklahoma, but I do think that Oklahoma, one loss Oklahoma gets in over a one loss Penn State that just loses to Ohio State and then does not even get to play in the Big Ten championship game. Okay. I would agree with that. Um, what, so, do you make, what do you make Georgia now? Um, Georgia uh, plus or 33 to 1. So 16% to make the playoff. They have, their schedule is tough coming home. They, it's very likely that they lose another game um, before the conference. So here, here's and, one. Here's 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 one to think about, right? And this goes back to like all your metrics that I don't really like, or all your you know projections that I don't really like. But one would be interesting is if you created a metric about whether someone controls their own destiny. I, right. I sort of have this here, right here, actually. Um, I say, okay, so make playoff if one out. I think that's the best. That isn't that a good metric? Yeah, that's a really good one. That's so a good one. so Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama. Um, Penn State, Minnesota, and Baylor are all considered controlling your own destiny because we added this undefeated Power Five team. But Georgia, but I would say if Georgia wins out, they have a very good chance of making the yes. Playoffs. I think probably hundred percent. This says ninety-seven point three percent. Yeah, um, Florida ninety-six okay. percent. Yeah. So sorry. Um, in Oklahoma, fifty-seven and a half. Sorry, I said fifty-eight point nine. That's their chances of winning out, including the conference championship game. They're fifty-seven and a half percent to make the playoff if they do win out. So, so there. So Georgia's chances are almost double what Oklahoma's are if they win out. Right. The problem is okay, Georgia like only that. has that a not. Georgia has a nine point six percent chance of winning out. Right. That. But I'm. I, I'm not. I'm like. Let's take that away right now because it's very. It's interesting to think about the because of the nature of college football right it's it's almost as interesting to think about the nature of do they control their own destiny versus can they actually control their destiny kind of thing completely agree so interesting i'm glad we finally came to some common ground people yeah. say we act like a married couple that um is just staying together because of the kids and i feel like this is like a real moment where we've we're connected so i'm this, happy this about is that. fantastic jeff yeah um Okay, uh, what do you make Minnesota to then? As do you want to meet me in the bedroom? I'm not even paying okay. acknowledging that with a comment. Um, what do you make Minnesota? Um, 445 to 1. So no value there. So it looks like they, the only value is Oklahoma still. <laughs> I, I have them 2.5% so to win out the rest point. of the way. Ohio State, plus 325. Ooh, so they're, they've come in a lot. We should have bet some of them a, long, a while ago. That might have been nice. 71% to win the conference. They, they still have Penn State and Michigan left. Um, Penn State, it's probably going to be – that game will be for the Big Ten East. 
and then face Wisconsin, Minnesota, or um, Wisconsin or Minnesota, probably right, or Iowa. To, I guess Iowa. Should we bet some? Should we? Should we bet some Justin Fields to win the Heisman? It seems like a good. I mean, I don't. Plus I don't know. Rate. What is it? What's the number? Plus eight ninety. That seems like good value, doesn't it? Shouldn't isn't he like the front runner? I don't I think he's he was. the front runner. I think you know that. Uh, I think Joe Burrow. Joe. A, I mean, according according to the numbers, Joe Burrow is the favorite right now, and then Jalen Hurts is number two, and then two is number three, and then Justin Fields is number four. Yeah, but once once Burrow gets like ambushed by the Alabama defense, you know, actually the Alabama defense is not as good as they have been in previous years, but. Um, if, if LSU loses, that could change. And LSU is much more likely to lose than Ohio State is. I have Ohio State as 56% to win to win out, and LSU the rest of the way only 19.5%. So if you think that that um, having a loss really hurts someone's Heisman chances, then maybe, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I've never actually looked at, at what goes into winning the Heisman and how the voters. I think the problem with Justin Fields is his prior, right? Going into this year, he was not necessarily considered to be a Heisman candidate. Obviously, he was an elite talent, but having the sort of mark of transferring from Georgia and then coming to Ohio State, he wasn't really on the radar for for the Heisman. But so I don't think I don't think Burrow was either. I think everybody thought it was Tua versus Trevor. Bur- Burrow Burrow definitely versus was not. Herbert because Burrow thought Burrow people thought Burrow was essentially just like a glorified running back playing wide receiver playing quarterback. So they thought he was a typical LSU quarterback, basically. Yeah, and he seems like it's like this year he's like, oh wow, he can throw. That's really, it's really good. He can throw. He's a quarterback that can throw. Woohoo, he can throw. Hey. Um, okay, anything else in college? You want to maybe give a couple picks? I don't think so. Hopefully, I can uh, back up last week. I don't. How did I? I don't know what picks I. I think the picks I gave on the podcast did pretty well too. Well, I mean, chances are you did well because you did really well in college football last week. So Thanks, I know Josh. you're dying to tell everyone. No, I'm not. You're, I know you're dying to tell your friend Zilbo how well you did and how you're, but you don't have a documented record, so you're an asshole. No, I'm a dog. You're not really an asshole, so I take it all back. Okay, I haven't, I haven't looked at lines this morning. Thursday morning to, to, to you have them in front of me, so yeah. I'll give you the ones that I think that are going to be picks. I don't have we'll them have in front to, of you. I have them in front of me. That's good. That'd be weird if you had them in front of me. Yeah. Um, should we go with big games or the small games? Go go for the big games. Let's go with the big ones. Go do it. Let's do take it. okay. We're gonna take UNLV plus. God, is it plus like nine? Popular, yeah, plus nine. At Colorado juiced, State, slightly juiced, meaning like someone recently hit them that they fear. That's what that's what Chris does these days. Like they move things. Anyways, so is it not a true plus nine anymore? No, no. I bet it is everywhere except Chris. My guess is literally someone just hit this at Chris, and that's why it's. It's minus one thirteen. Let me. I'm okay, I'm, I make it plus five. By the way, five point one. I'm checking some alternate lines, places. And I'll get get you. A, we'll get a definitive here. Uh oh, no, it's plus eight and a half somewhere else. So I say plus nine juiced is probably right. We'll just give it out at plus eight and a half. There's not a big difference between those two. Um, is Cincinnati? We're gonna, I was going to say Cincinnati minus twenty three at East Carolina. Question is, is that still minus twenty three? Minus one fourteen. So it's like twenty four. I should have looked through these first. I just see the ones I have highlighted, the ones I've already bet. I think twenty three and a half is fine. It's twenty three and a half. I'm looking at some other places. And it's twenty. It I make the number twenty eight. So take that for what it's worth. And do we want one more? Oh, we always want one more. Let's find like a bigger game though. Oh. I'm going to take Virginia. Is that still plus two and a half at UNC? Plus two and a half. Yeah, unless, yeah. Unless me giving that's the one I gave out on the Tony Kornheiser show this morning. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your analytics like it, Jeff? My analytics meaning Rufus P. Firefly. Yes, that's what you mean. Yes. Yeah, I, I think Virginia should actually be a two point two and a half point favorite there. So I think the wrong team is favored. So we'll do yeah Ooh. three picks there, and you know what? Why not give out UCLA? Are they still UCLA. minus six and a half? Uh, I believe so. So we'll get four. Um, their quarterback with the dashed hyphenated name is questionable though. So, But I still, I bet it. So, He must know. not be that questionable if 
Well, there's a big disparity in lines I'm looking at across the three books that I look at. Is that off the board now? No, sir. Okay. Okay. It's minus six and a half, minus one fourteen at Chris, but minus six and a half a bunch of other places. So I think okay. we're good with minus six and a half. All right, That's let's move on to for the college. NFL and this um, tweet that you wanted to talk about in terms of closing line value. You want to read the tweet? Do you have that in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. Do you have it in front of you? Uh, I have it on my phone, I think, because you sent it to me last night when I was traveling. We're, we're very prepared here. So always. We are I'll, always prepared. I'll pull up the prediction tracker. There's a site called the prediction tracker.com, which tracks different like systems. Adam, Adam Chernoff was uh, tweeted. If you beat the closing line side and total for every game on the board this week at pinnacle sports, you would be 10 and 15 with the Packers and under pending strange NFL season continues. And then Dr. Burry said variants, bro. And then he said, yep, we are, at halfway of the point season, and it's kept consistent each week. Small sample, sure, but at minus, but at two twenty-five. Anyways, the whole point is it's been an odd NFL season so far, and every you know, oftentimes it seems like it's an odd NFL season at this point. Meaning, like you're like, oh, favorites have covered this much or whatever. But some interesting things are happening, right? That are probably if you go back to like first principles thinking that are inarguable and one inarguable thing that has happened um, is that uh, away teams have outscored home teams, correct? Oh, I thought you were going to say one inarguable thing is that sports betting is now legal in certain states in the United States. But yes, home teams have been outscored by road teams. That's correct. Yes. So that's interesting, right? Because that's like, I mean, anytime you think about like, okay, is there something weird going on? You have to think about like what has fundamentally changed and you're, you're actually saying that you think that there's just a lot more public money in the market. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that I was, I was, I I thought you might go that direction and and sort of ask if that has an, has any bearing. What do we think is, is there more public money in the market and does that money even matter? I mean, like, what would cause what would cause closing line value to not mean nearly as much in the NFL, and it would me, mean that the market had become dumber, correct? And yeah, like the market had become less predictive. And what would cause the market to become less predictive? It would be that people that were in the market, influencing the market, were worse at predicting games. Or let's just, let's just let first of all let's throw out the concept of small sample size because not that we don't believe it's small sample size but it doesn't it's not an interesting argument if we're like oh this is just variance bro like that's that's true but I mean then we could talk about like the fact that road teams have outscored home teams I mean do we really think that home field advantage doesn't exist is that I mean I think I that I right think there exists, shows I, think I mean for all the reasons that you've there's there's a lot of reasons that home field could potentially be diminishing over time, right? Oh, it's been diminishing over time, hugely actually in college football. Um, and I, th- I expect right. it to continue let, let's to talk diminish about over the, time let's because talk, travel gets easier because... Tra- let's travel gets easier. And also some of the things you've talked about, there's more... And, and professionalization. I, you know, go, to your, go to your narrative. There's, there's, no, there's more um, measures for normalizing refereeing or evaluating refereeing. So... There's, there's potentially less bias because they know that there's, they, you know, whatever. If you believe that that's the case, that the refereeing has quote-unquote gotten better, um, who knows? And, and maybe we can say that the refereeing has gotten fairer, but not necessarily better. Does that make sense? Fairer. Yeah, I, I still think it's gotten better. I, I just oh. think when there is more accountability, that it's just a natural consequence that it's going to be better. Are there any other reasons that home field would be dissipating? Besides referee bias and besides well, the referee bias and travel, the ease of travel. Um, I mean, maybe just some of these stadiums being upgraded where they're all pretty similar in terms of like the actual creature comforts and what they look like and what they feel like. There's less lack of familiarity. That's fair. Cause we know familiarity is very implicated in home field advantage, which is why home field advantage is stronger in uh, early in the game across all sports what else could it be i feel like that's i feel like that's it so yeah i mean it'll be interesting to watch and certainly once we have a full season this year um i'm sure we can evaluate whether there was a statistical 
difference in terms of you know home field performance versus away versus historicals like there'll be enough a decent amount of sample at least to look at this yeah so someone who's smart can go look at it and tell us what they found because it sounds like hard work do you want to get back to the sort of uh the narrative with well closing lines not meeting as much or no no we can i mean i just i don't know like i was trying to decouple it by thinking through like why this would be and then um maybe coming up with a hypothesis around it that we can maybe then test maybe it's actually related to the fact that road teams are are winning so much i mean if if you have some oh, stuff yeah, that's because, random happening i mean i think it, it well, because a classic, a classic a classic game that you almost always get uh, CLV in right is a is it a road when you bet a road favorite? Sorry, no, uh, sorry, a, home uh, fa- home dog, home dog, right? That's sort of a classic sharp spot, and you know if the sharps are on it, and then you're gonna get like closing line value, but then the road teams win those public road teams that are favorites win and cover. I don't know. This seems like a silly, yeah, silly discussion because, like, I don't even really know what it means, and to decouple it is pretty challenging. What's interesting is I'm looking at the prediction tracker, which has results for different um, systems that they track. I guess there's 64 of them. They include the updated line, which is the closing line, I believe, the midweek line, and the opening line. And the updated line ranks number nine, um, meaning that there are like eight um, systems out there that have done better in terms of absolute error than the closing line, which is unusual, but we're, we have a sample of only 121 games. And if you look at last season, um, the updated line, the closing line was not um, the best actually. In fact, last year, the midweek line was slightly better than the closing line. Um, but if like 2008, 2018, 17, 16, um, 15, the closing line was was the best in all of those. So, I mean, I, I really do think it's a product of sample size, but you, it will be interesting to see what the changing landscape of betting, um, especially with the legalization in the U.S., um, does. And if you have, I know global, globally, it's getting harder and harder for professionals to get down big money across, that's soccer, football, um, all these sports, because you do have sort of this movement towards this European style of bookmaking and these high volume, low margin books have not been doing that great. I mean, I don't know if you saw mustard bet. Um, they, they were trying that in the UK, I believe, and they quit operations. They were more of, um, they specialized in, in trading. I mean, they were traders themselves, but I think, um, if it gets harder for, for pros to get down, I mean, then you will see more square money influencing the market. Just, just right, and then based like on line value, you're saying like closing line value in that case will mean nothing. Well, it'll mean the market becomes less efficient in a way. Right. So, I mean, I that's actually the one of the more interesting things. If it's just a less, just a smaller proportion, basically, if if you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but just all of a sudden now, like you're saying, just the percentage of sharp money in the market has gotten smaller and smaller, and the market is just moving on on balancing action rather than taking a side, then you're getting a like a dumber and dumber market. Right. I mean, think about the Super Bowl. That's the classic example because you have so much uh, square money, so much public money coming in that you do have lines that are, um, that are not efficient and you end up as a result with the classic um, Super Bowl, um, the, the middle opportunity because people that bet on, on the underdog bet on them in the money line and people that bet on the favorite bet on them on the point spread. So, there, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, anything else on NFL that you want to chat about? No, I think you want to move along to, I mean, did you have uh, a bad week last week? I had a bad week so in we the NFL. Too. Yeah. Like um, one, one play actually early on would have been pretty big. There were a couple plays that were pretty, could have been pretty big. Like we had, um, Cincy in the game and then Cincy in the second half. And, you know, if um, Dalton's last pass doesn't get called back, he threw a touchdown pass and then it overturned. Yeah. At the end. But that, that was like a, you know, four unit swing. And then, 
Um, even this, the, we had ended up with a double bet on the Monday night game with the over in that game. Um, and then the second half over and, you know, if, if they somehow are able to put a touchdown in Miami, then we win, we win both of those. So, you know, those, those types of things. And I think that's at the core of what like drives me crazy about the writers who, uh, write about betting, but don't bet themselves is that they get so carried away about one individual bet um, and, you know, in, in, in this whole thing. And, like, there, it's just if you've bet long enough, you kind of just have this you, – you have to – I guess, like, what if you teach people to bet, what you want them to have is a very calmness around any individual event. And it's a really hard thing to do. But unless you have that, you're not going to enjoy betting, and you're also just not going to make fundamentally good decisions over time. Yeah, I think it's something that's learned too. I mean, I mean it was a lot of when you were starting, Jeff. When you were starting playing blackjack, was it was it hard at the beginning to deal with the swings? No, no, because well, well, blackjack is just totally different, right? Because blackjack, you have like real, you can have real conviction around that's what fair. you're doing, and I think that in sports betting, it's harder to because you. Um, you don't have the clear math. You don't have the clear stationarity. And, and you and I have talked about this a lot. Like that's why blackjack is this sort of perfect Petri dish to preach data-driven thinking and analytics. Whereas sports betting is a good analogy, but it's definitely not perfect because there are many times where your models could be wrong or your, you know, there, there could be holes in your analytics because it's not like this perfect system. Yeah. You make very good points there. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I think it was easier also to swallow Sunday after a great Saturday. And, you know, I think that, I don't know how many pro bettors you've talked to, but, I, the last say five, six weeks, I feel like every pro better I know is, is just ranking it in and doing really well. Um, you in know, college or pros or everything? Um, mostly college, but I think pros, golf. people are doing pretty well also. No, no, no. I don't. The only, there's only one pro better that I talked to in golf, and I've heard he's not doing very well. Um, I'm on a bad, bad two-month stretch. But Yeah. Is that, is that a bad de- documented stretch or a bad undocumented stretch? It's, it's, it's documented to me. <laughs> um, no, and, and I don't, I mean, what have you, have you talked to many people about college? Because definitely I, I'm hearing people are doing really well in college football this year. I haven't, I don't really talk to a lot of people. Yeah. We I mean, I don't probably, talk about results probably, really. We should probably keep it that way. So, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, it's, it's, it's great though. I, I love hearing people so happy about their sports betting because everyone's just killing it. So, I mean, Rob Pizzaiola said he's like the best sports betting day he's ever had in his life or something like that a couple of weeks ago, so. Anywho, well done, pizza man. Uh, yeah, NFL for us, I think, has been pretty even. College football has been good. Um, we had, you know, and tailing my friends that are good professional betters has been good also. Okay, so do we want to get some NFL picks? Let's do it. You want to start? Sure. I am going to go with, let's see here. I am going to go with the Chargers plus three and a half. The Chargers, okay. I'm just checking my lines and here. What okay, so that's, that's, yeah, it's three, three and a half. It's like juice. Yeah, no, I'd say three and a half is fair. Plus yeah. three and a half minus 111 at, at um, Bookmaker. Yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm also on that, um, just like Ooh, you. Nice. So double okay. agreement. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I t- I got them, I guess at four, what's it now? It's three and a half juiced. So, you know, we could go a little Asian handicap 3.25. So the Ravens are clearly the sharp side in that game. What do we say about narratives like this, Jeff? Yeah. I'm they just are. telling you, I'm telling you the, the sharp okay. side. Can, can you, I'm, can you tell me why they're the sharp side then? Because, um, because the line has moved like, down. People, people that I know that are sharp are betting them. Um, and our numbers actually like the Patriots in that game, but that's not a bet the process pick because I don't feel, st- I don't, I, I would not, I used a bunch of picks today on TK show and the Patriots are not one of them because I don't really like that pick, even though I like the Patriots. 
personally as as a fan. Okay. So wait. So do you think that do you think that the Ravens being the quote sharp side has anything to do with the fact that New England has you know who their easy schedule they've played so far and the fact you know, their turnover margin being yeah I mean what I think, it is I think and, all that and then if you look at if you look at the numbers right the the yards per play numbers the Patriots yards per play offense is is bad. But their offense has not been good. I agree. Yeah, their offense so tends I mean, to be like more you, predictive you, than you defense. Take, you just take that alone to me. And you're saying like this team with a pretty mediocre offense on the road is giving three and a half points to a team that's has a good defense and that has a reasonable offense. And so it, it, it just doesn't equate. Like if you, as you take the names of the teams off the teams and just look at the numbers, you would say that probably the Ravens, that, that line should be closer to, you know, closer to even. I mean, having the Patriots outscore their opponents like 225 to 30 or something absolutely crazy like that. Yeah, that's crazy. So they're only, you know, only but having the, the scores, light three. The, the scores half. only matter so much, as we know. So can I ask you this? One thing, I was looking at the player model and, and w- why it does not think the Patriots' defense is that amazing. And this is, I think, a, a weakness in it, which is why it's also blended with this sort of team-level model. Um, I think a weakness is that it doesn't really pick up um, sort of the – genius of Belichick and his scheme or whoever the defensive coordinator who's following Belichick's instructions um, is. So you have a bunch of players where, I mean, look at their secondary. They, they have a lot of guys that have been with the organization for a few years at least, right? Like Deron Harmon, Patrick Chung, um, which McCourty is it? Jason McCourty. They have both McCourty's. They got both McCourty's still. Um, Gilmore's obviously great. Um, but you also have like, you also have a bunch of guys, like you have guys like J.C. Jackson, who is an undrafted free agent. I think there's two guys that play significant time that were undrafted free agents like two to three years ago or one to three years ago. And it's, I, I guess, when you have a guy like that, like you're the prior on a guy, that, a guy that's undrafted free agent just is not that good. Because, it, you know, it's not that high because overall, if you look at the performance of how guys that weren't drafted um, do – in general, it's not particularly good, and it takes more data to sort of sway me from that viewpoint. That so from sort of a Bayesian perspective. Whereas if it's, someone's a high draft pick, you know, it's it, we're going to assume they're probably going to be better. I mean, like someone like um, it's why I have someone like Nick Bosa rated so high because I already yeah, so expected you know, him to be so good in a way, and this is just validating my viewpoint going into um, the season. So I'm I'm curious, like. I mean, it, it seems like his, the Patriots defense, what has been this fundamental change that's made it, made them so good? Or is it, well, they or, have a good, they have a, they have a good second door, Derry, right? They have them Cordy's, they have Gilmore, they have this guy, Jonathan Jones and, um, and Jonathan then, Jones. Wasn't he also the, another guy that was an undrafted free agent? Yeah. He was a pretty low, he was, I think he might've been undrafted. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that, I mean, it, it you're, it will your your player level model will underestimate scheme and coaching for sure. So do you? But do you think? I mean, what has changed with the Patriots from last year to this year? I think they just have a bunch of guys that that have been there long enough that they're actually like, um, you know, and, and their linebackers um, that they've got are, are are guys that are experienced in their system. Like they got Jamie Collins back and mm-hmm. Hightower is a guy that's been there a long time. I mean, they just have a much more stable set. Their defense, I think, is just much more stable in terms of having been there for a while. So it's continuity, knowing the system, yeah, I think et cetera. So. I think it's continuity. I mean, you could also say, okay, well, these guys are getting older too. I mean, they do have some. But it's only like, I mean, yes. So this is silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some well, like, I mean, it's I think this is an interesting discussion. No, it's interesting to deconstruct your model, but also like I, I do think there's only so much that we can discern, right? And sure. I think that, I think that at, one thing that we know is that every analytical model that, that I know of, at least in football, has always underestimated the Patriots because of some of the you know sort of unta- intangibles and coaching things that are pretty hard to quantify. That's fair, and I think Massey Peabody does a little bit better of doing a, a better job of that with sort of the score efficiency variable, um, and so I haven't really been low on the Patriots historically but the player model doesn't have that and you're right um the patriots like the defensive backs are the best in the league i think at least that's what i have them rated at but their defensive line not that great and defensive line it's much easier to sort of assess skill than it is in the secondary i think 
Amen. Okay. So okay. next pick, next I'm going to go with the Lions plus two and a half against the Raiders. Lions plus two and a half against the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you going to go with as your second pick? I'm gonna, my second pick, I got to see, make sure it's the same. I'm going to take the Redskins. Ooh, wait. Do we have any news on Keenum versus Haskins? Supposedly it's going to be Haskins. Yeah, that that changes my number a little bit, but I still I still believe I will like the, yeah, the Redskins we, there. We like the Redskins plus nine and a half also. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the Redskins plus – it's ten now. It's not, it's, it's not up at Chris. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's the issue. You're right. It isn't. Um, so – and we got down early. Yeah. So we got down before. I, I feel like it's okay. We're going to skip that one then um, because you're right. It's not, it's up at Pinnacle, but not Chris. It's, there's uncertainty. We don't want to um, mess with that. So my second pick, I'm going to, the only other like possible pick I have here really, because um, it's a, it's a, like, I didn't find a lot on the board this week um, is, uh, the Houston Texans minus one and a half. Yeah, and I don't. We, although we like, with JJ Watt's injury, that I think JJ Watt's like, worth more than like two points. Also, by the way, we like that also. We like the Texans. Yeah. How much do you uh, value JJ Watt? Or we don't. No. Yeah. See, I think that's like the player model that goes down from like I think it was minus um, like four point eight, and it drops all the way down to minus two point six with without without Watt. So it, it says Watt like his replacement. I forget the guy's name, but um, bad, not good. So, or at least the guy that I filled in for getting more playing time. So, okay, that's, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of value for someone that's not a quarterback, isn't it? It is, but I'm going ready. with it anyway. Cause nasty everybody likes it enough. And yeah, there we go. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening guys. We'll talk to you guys next week. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of leaded.